We are going to be in Isaiah chapter 11 today, and um, we're picking up this week where we left off last week, and you might remember from last week that I started off and I told you that the majority of our problems are due to the fact that we do not want the knowledge of God, we do not seek the knowledge of God, we think we know what's best for us and the decisions that we need to make. And many times in our life, we make these decisions based on our own passions or our own desires or our own wisdom, our own knowledge. And how has that worked out for mankind so far? <laughs> Not very good. And so what we're dealing with in the book of Isaiah, and I showed you this last week, so we're not going to go back through it, but we're dealing with a group of people that has refused the knowledge of God. They have rejected um, to be obedient to God. They still come to church. They still worship. They still um, act like they serve God, yet they are not walking with God. They're not following God. They have leaders. They have kings and priests. And they have so many people that is that their job is to guide them in the Word of God, to guide them into obedience to God. And yet instead we have them seeking or, or, or guiding these people astray. They are not leading them toward God, they're leading them away from God. And as a result of this, God has came in and He said, I am going to bring judgment. And little by little, He has brought uh, bits of judgment in the hopes that they would turn away from their sin and turn back to God. And yet every time a little bit of judgment comes... God says that instead of turning toward Him who struck them, they turn away from Him and continue to go the other direction. And this is the heart of man. This is the way that we are as sinners. We have this kind of heart within us that we do not have a natural desire to submit to God and to uh, follow God. Instead, we have a natural desire to follow our own way and to be the God of our own life. Amen. This is who we are. And we need to admit this before we can see what the cure is and how we turn this around and go back toward our God and our Creator. So as I told you last week, God has promised that there is going to come a final destruction. There is going to come a final judgment. He is going to bring a symbol of this in the, um, in the way of the Assyrian Empire coming in to take over both Israel and 90% of Judah. Now for those of you that have not been here, um, Judah is the southern kingdom of God's people. Israel is the northern kingdom of God's people. Israel many times is known by the name Ephraim, or I, I'm a country boy so I call him Ephraim, alright? But um, they are known a lot of times when you read of Ephraim, he's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. And whenever he talks about Judah, he's talking about the southern kingdom of Israel. They're all God's people, but they've been split into two different kingdoms. And so whenever he talks about this, you've got to understand that he's talking about his people just in two different kingdoms. But Assyria is going to come in and he is going to wipe out the majority of or all of Israel and the majority, 90% of Judah. And he tells us a little bit about this at the end of Isaiah chapter 10. Notice what he says in Isaiah chapter 10. I, I didn't give him a scripture, so if you have your Bible, look along with me. But in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 33, he says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. So he's using an image and a picture here of cutting down trees, right? He's going to come in and he's going to top the tree, all right? 
He's going he's to lop the bows, he says here, with terrifying power. And then he says the great and height are going to be hewn down. The lofty are going to be brought low. And then notice he finishes up in 34, he says, He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon, which was known for its great majestic cedar trees, all right? Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So picture this in your head. God is coming through with His axe. And what is left of a tree when the tree is cut down? The stump, right? And so we have this picture here of the judgment of God coming through and it has wiped out everything except for stumps. Israel, stumps. Judah, stumps. Assyria, eventually, stumps. As we continue through Isaiah, you're going to see Egypt, stumps. Uh, Cush, stumps. Uh, Babylon, stumps. You're going to see this judgment carrying through. But it all points to a final judgment that is coming. But then notice what he says in 11 verse 1. Because here's the way we need to read Isaiah. When we go through Isaiah, you're going to see that he points to coming judgment, the reason for judgment, but the future hope for God's people. There's a kingdom coming. A king is going to reign. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring. Uh, he's going to restore creation. All these things. And this is what you see all the way through Isaiah is this recurring theme. Judgment, the reason for judgment, but here's hope. Judgment, the reason for judgment, but here's hope. And so what is God going to do to answer this question? Is He just going to wipe out everything? Well, look what he says in 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot. From where? From the stump. Why the stump? Because he cut Israel down, right? There ain't nothing left but stumps. But out of this stump, there is going to come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And who was Jesse? That's David's daddy, right? David is the one that God made a covenant with and promised that I am going to raise up a king out of your seed, out of your lineage, and he is going to rule over your kingdom and your throne for eternity. There will never fail to be a king on the throne of David from that point on into eternity. And so God says here, I'm going to bring forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots, and he shall bear fruit. Why is He going to bear fruit? Because Israel failed to bear fruit. But the, the root that is coming, or the, 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 um, the shoot that is coming out of the stump of Jesse, He's going to bear fruit for the Lord the way that Israel was called to bear fruit. But then in verse 2 He says, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon Him. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And so this guy is going to be God in the flesh with all the wisdom of God, all the understanding of God, all the counsel of God, He is not going to turn to anyone to seek counsel as to what He should do to address this or this. He will know because He has the Spirit of God on Him. Now we know from last week that Jesus stood up in front of the the Pharisees and in the synagogue He read this Scripture and He said, Hey guys, today this has been fulfilled in your ears. In other words, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, he's here. Who is he? He's Jesus. He's Jesus. He is the king that God promised would sit on the throne of David and rule forevermore. The king is here. 
And then notice in verse 3, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Because that's how judges do in this time. In this day and time, I'm not saying that judges don't try to get it right, but how many of you know that we're corrupt? And it don't take much but a little bribe for us to decide one way or the other. Or we can look at a situation and say, well, this person is poor and this person is an upstanding person in the community and so our favor is going to lean which way? And so what he says here is when this king comes, he's not going to judge the way that you've seen the judges in Israel judge and the way we've seen judges judge. He don't judge by what he sees because that's all we know. We, we only judge by what we see, right? But instead, here's what he's going to do in verse 4. But with righteousness, he's going to judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So he's going to be equal. Whether you're poor, whether you're gentle and meek, or whether you're rich, or whether you're overbearing, it don't matter. He's going to judge rightly. And notice what timeline we're talking about here. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So we're talking about when He comes back, when this final judgment comes. Do you all see this? And if you were to go back like I did last week to the book of Revelations chapter 20, I believe it is, 19 or 20, somewhere in there, we see this Scripture fulfilled. He comes back to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. He comes back to destroy the wicked with the word from His mouth. And so this is talking about the time that Jesus comes again. And then as I told you last week, we are talking about a time that He is going to bring Israel at that point back from all the places that He spread them to. Because remember, He sent Assyria in, Assyria spread them. He sent Babylon in, Babylon spread them. And how many of you know anything about Jewish history? Have the Jews had a very good history? No. You know why? because they're still under this discipline of God. The Bible teaches us that God has blinded their eyes, that He has hardened their hearts so that they do not look to Jesus and they will not believe in Jesus. They rejected their Messiah. But there is coming a day that God promises, I'm going to bring them back. Notice that I didn't give you this scripture either, but look with me at Jeremiah chapter 33. Because Jeremiah is prophesying after Isaiah when Babylon comes into Judah and is dispersing them. And look what, it, look what I, uh, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 30... Actually, go to chapter 32, verse 37 with me. Jeremiah 32, verse 37. And we'll go down through verse uh, 40, I believe. Notice what God promises. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath, and in great indignation, I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting, an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them and I will plant them in this land. Did y'all catch that? 
I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Let me ask you a question. Has that happened yet? Has Israel got to... Since the destruction of Assyria, we're talking 700 something B.C., have the people of Israel been able to go back to the promised land where God reigns over them and they are free to be the people of God and they're in prosperity and they are blessed? Has that happened yet? No. But let me tell you what has happened in the last 50 years. In the last 50 years, whenever the, uh, Israel was established as a state, we have here 600 and I think 650,000 Jews that returned to Israel at that time. Today, we have over 7 million, I believe, is what is returned to Jerusalem. The most of them in the last, I think, three years. And so right now, you have 74% of the population of Israel for the first time since Assyria that has returned to the land of Israel. And God has promised. Now I'm not telling you that this prophecy is being fulfilled right now. I don't know that. But isn't it interesting that God promised that one day He's going to call all of His people, the Jews specifically, back to this land. And then notice what He says in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So God's got a promise He's got to fulfill, right? He says, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. This is that shoot that come out of the stump, right? In that day, I will cause this righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. What we read about in Isaiah 11, right? Now keep reading with me. In those days, Judah will be saved. Alright, these are his people, the southern people. Now remember, Israel was completely destroyed, the northern kingdom. 10% of Judah was left. Now that has grown into today, I don't know how many millions, but 7 million of them are back in Israel. And now it says, In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, to make sacrifices forever. And then so on. You could keep on reading. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. And y'all track with me, okay? When you go to Revelation chapter 20, right after the return of Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to set up a thousand-year kingdom, all right, where He reigns as King. And it is going to be a kingdom on this earth. There are still going to be sinful people in this kingdom. They are believers when they first go into this kingdom, all right? But Jesus rules and reigns over this kingdom in righteousness. And it don't matter whether you come into this kingdom as a poor, as a rich, as a meek, or as overbearing. He is clothed with righteousness. He rules with righteousness. He reigns with righteousness. And this happens before the eternal kingdom. You don't believe me? Go to Revelation chapter 20 right now. 
and read it for yourself. The point that I'm making is what we're talking about here is the time where God fulfills His promise to Israel. He has a promise to keep. And Israel has to return to their promised land where a king of David sits on the throne and rules over them and God is their God and they are God's people and God blesses them and He prospers them and they live in the land flowing with milk and honey. And what we're reading about is that land. Now, just so you understand this, there are also Gentiles in this land and we're going to see that as we continue. But this is what we're talking about. So go back with me to Isaiah chapter 11 and let's read it from that context and that perspective. Start with me in verse 5. Righteousness is going to be the belt of His waist. Faithfulness, the belt of His loins. And then notice what we have here in the king's kingdom. So this is where we get to. If you have your outline, this is where we're starting. The king's kingdom. All right. And so look at what happens in this kingdom in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Anybody ever seen that before? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf are going to lie down together. I don't know about you, but I'm not even a lion. And if I lay down with a fattened calf, I'm thinking ribeyes. That's all I'm saying. And then notice what's going to happen. The little child is going to lead them all. Not just the cattle, the goats, but the wolf, the lion, the bear, the leopard. The little child leads them. And then keep going with me. He says in verse 7, the cow and the bear are going to graze together. Instead of the bear looking at the cow as food, the bear grazes and eats grass with the cow. And then he says here, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And then he says, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And what you have here are the two most dangerous snakes in all of this part of, the, of this country. Alright? So in all of this uh, part of Asia, basically what you've got is you've got the cobra and the viper, some translations translated. And these are the most dangerous, the most poisonous snakes in this place. And so what Isaiah is doing is painting a picture to all of us here that during this time that your children... You know, I can just picture right now Thomas and Christy are sitting up here with their two little ones. And Christy says, uh, Thomas, where, where's Kaysen at? Oh, he's out there playing with the cobra. See, our mind can't comprehend that, right? Let me put it in, in our perspective, alright? And so, let's take, change that to say, well, he's out there playing with the copperhead. He's out there and he's got the rattlesnake in his hand. And they're friends. They're playing together. He's in the den. He's in the house of the rattlesnake. And yet, there is no fear whatsoever. See, I'm going to tell you something. Let me, let me share with you a little bit about how mankind feels about snakes today. Alright? Several years ago, I got a good deacon of mine. 
Several years ago, we were, uh, we were in a, uh, the, the Baptist Association building because our church had burnt, all right? This was back in 2001 or 2002, I guess. And we were having a vacation Bible school. We had all our metal chairs set up. Well, we had this guy that wanted to teach. And he had never taught before. But he wanted to teach the adult class for vacation Bible school. Good, solid Christian man. So we thought, sure. We gave him a chance. He stood up there. The first time that he has ever taught, he's teaching up there. And I mean, he's stuck to his notes. He's reading right along. He's not looking up. He's not doing anything. Well, about that time, there's a big bay door that lets up over here. And it was up. And here comes this big snake just crawling right in there. I don't know. That, that thing was probably five, six foot long. Yeah, Fagus said 10, 12 foot long, something like that. He was, a, he was a big snake. He really was. And he come in and he's making a beeline for us. We're all sitting there. He's making a beeline for us. Well, I think it was Rebecca Carpenter. I can't remember. I think it was Rebecca. Rebecca said, hey, there's a snake. That is the wrong thing to say, especially when Fagan King is sitting there. And I was in the wrong place. I was in the line of fire. I'm sitting right in front of Fagan. Well, about that time, Fagan, my good deacon, right in the middle of church, and God bless him, he can't help it, he saw a snake, okay? But about that time, Fagan lets out the biggest four-letter word you've ever seen in the middle of vacation Bible school, and he jumps up and he grabs me by the, by the shoulder with these three, fa- I think it's three, because that was the marks that I had on me that the skin come off. True story, I'm not joking about that, all right? He took the skin off of my shoulder. Chairs went flying. Am I exaggerating anybody? Chairs went flying in every direction. Metal chair. Y'all ever heard metal chairs clanging against each other flying? Ricky Carpenter gets up, walks over to the snake, stomps the snake on his head. The snake's over here twirling and carrying on. Fagin is nowhere to be seen. He's gone. <clears throat> And then, guess what happened whenever everything got settled down and all the chairs got put together and we got back up and everybody sat down? Guess what Peter's doing? Still teaching. <laughs> Peter never looked up. Out of all that commotion, he never looked. I'm telling you, that brother was focused. He, he, he was focused. That's a true story. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. Mankind and snakes, for the most part, we don't jive. Now, granted, there are some crazy people in the world, Ralph, Michael Donovan, some of these other, that like to play with snakes, all right? But they are the exception to the rule, right? Most people, if we see a snake, what kind of snake is he? Thank you. And so this is the way. But now, I say all that again to let you know that in this day and time when Jesus rules as king, that there is such a peace over this place that literally Fagan King will play with the cobra. <laughs> that will happen. And so what you need to understand this is this is the kind of world peace that we're seeing take place between mankind and between animals in this place. Another thing that we see in this is a restored creation. 
And so whenever we see that all of the creation that was cursed has been brought back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden where man and animals walked together and they were friends, not enemies. We see this restored creation take place. And then we also see a restored health take place in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 18. Did I give you those, Nathan? I don't remember what I gave you and what I didn't, so y'all forgive him if he don't get it up there. But in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 18, it says, Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol or the grave will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. And then go down with me at um, Isaiah chapter 35, where Isaiah talks about this kingdom even more. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 through 6. He says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the, de- of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And again, the point here is, do you see this restored health that takes place? Now go with me to Isaiah 65. This will be the last one I'll look at. But Isaiah chapter 65, verse 18, starting there. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Paul, Lud, who draw the bow, and... Hang on, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> Lord have mercy, 65, I'm sorry, 65, 18, look there. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die at a hundred years old. Did you catch that? A hundred years old, and if you die, you're a young man. When do you remember that taking place? Back in the days of Adam, when they lived to be 900. Back in the days of Methuselah, when they lived to be 969. I mean, this is he, he, he restores health back to a place that it is so widespread that infants don't die in a few days anymore, and old men live out their days. And the sinner, because again, I told you that in this land, while he reigns over them, we're not talking about the eternal state. We're talking about the thousand-year millennium, the thousand-year reign where Jesus reigns as king and He fulfills the promise that God made to David, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all of Israel. Y'all tracking with me? Okay. Now, so we have restored health. And then I also want you to know that during this time, work is not labor. You know, right now, we think of work and it's a terrible thing. Why is that? It's not because work was a curse. No, work came before the fall. Adam was tending to the garden and working the garden before the fall. What happened that made work so unenjoyable? Well, he said, by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. He says, this ground is going to bear and bring forth thorns and thistles instead of what it should. So here's what happened. We're used to creation 
worked with mankind. The ground opened up for you. The ground produced everything you needed. Now it braces itself against you. Anybody dug any ground here lately? It braces itself against you. And so what we see in this time is that the creation is restored in such a way that it no longer braces itself against you. The rain comes when it's supposed to. Right now, we have to work everything around the rain, right? You know, yesterday was my only day off um, for, uh, for a long time. Yesterday was it. Then I had to work today. Uh, I'm working, and I'm not saying this for pity, it's just true, the work is 17 hours a day and 17 hours tomorrow is my schedule. My yard is about this high. Daniel Durham, stay out of my yard. <laughs> my yard is about this high. Yesterday, I had big plans. I am going to get this grass cut. What? Well, it's not that high. My wife wants you all to know it's not that high. All right? <clears throat> but it needs to be cut. Yeah, it's only about that high. But my plans all day yesterday was, I'm going to get this grass cut on my day off. How many of you think I got my grass cut yesterday? Wet all day Soppy wet all day long. And that's just a minor thing. Well, how many of you know that many times that whenever the farmer puts out his seed for the, in the springtime, the flood comes and what happens to the seed? And so we have to plan around the creation because creation no longer works with us, but instead the curse of it braces itself against us. You build the retirement home of your dreams, lightning strikes it the next day and burns it down. I mean, really? You buy your vacation home on the beach and the hurricane hits and wipes it out. I mean, no matter what we try, creation works against us right now. But in this day when this king reigns, guess what? Creation works with us. And creation is back to restore the way that it is supposed to be. Work is no longer labor, but work is very enjoyable. It's something we love to be able to do. And so, and then notice in verse 9, the last part of the king's kingdom. And he's been talking about lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And he's been talking about the deadliest snakes on earth, right? And then look what he says next. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want you to think about this for a minute. Why is the curse here to begin with? All of this curse is here because we rejected the knowledge of God. Think about it. God said you can eat of every tree except which tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that tell you about their understanding at this point? If God doesn't want them to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, who do they have to look to for their decisions concerning good and evil? They have to look to the knowledge of God. They have to trust God for their every decision. And instead, they wanted to be like God and they said, God, we can decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. Anybody ever raise teenagers in here? We don't need you to tell us which way to go and what to do and not to do. I can decide for myself. The truth of the matter is, mankind hates authority, do we not? Don't you tell me what to do. 
This is the way that we are. And if somebody does tell you what to do, what stirs up inside of you? You just told, you're trying to tell me what to do. This is the kind of heart that we have. And the fact of the matter is, is that the reason the curse came is because we rejected the knowledge of God. And God said, in the day that you do that, you will die. In the day that you quit looking to me for your every need, in the day that you quit following my direction and my counsel, you will die. And yet, what did we do? We turned. We rejected Him. Now, if that brought on the curse, then what do you think is going to happen when the land is so full of the knowledge of the Lord? When Jesus reigns as King and He fills the land with the knowledge of the Lord's wisdom, counsel, and understanding His might, His power, all the things that the Spirit of God rests on Him for. When God fills this place with His knowledge and people walk according to this knowledge, the creation is naturally going to be restored. And that's what we see take place. And so, as we look through this and see that the curse is lifted in this time, we see that the reason it's lifted is because the knowledge of the Lord returns. What did Hosea chapter 4, I think, somewhere around verse 6, he said, My people are destroyed. Anybody know why? For what? For lack of knowledge. Did he mean that they're not smart enough or that they don't understand how to do 2 plus 2? Or Is that what he's talking about? No, this is what he's talking about. My people are destroyed because they don't have the knowledge of God. Like I started off with. Why? What is the cause of the majority of your problems in your life? The majority of them is you don't want the knowledge of God. You don't want to follow God. You want to do what you want to do, right? And because of that, we experience the troubles that we experience in our life. You want to know why people, everybody blames God when, when children get molested and, and when people get raped and when, when schools get shot up and, mur- and children get murdered and when, when people, um, when, when all these atrocities happen in the world, we, we want to look and say, if God is real, then why didn't God, right? And yet what you need to understand is this, God is showing you what a world looks like when you reject His knowledge. When people do what they want to do, when people do what's right in their own eyes, when people do what's in the desire of their own heart, and they reject God's knowledge and follow their own knowledge, schools get shot up. People get raped. People get murdered. Children get molested. That's not God's fault. That's the problem. My people are destroyed. Why? Because they reject the knowledge of God. That's why. But in this day, in this time, when this king reigns, The knowledge of God is going to fill the earth. How is it going to fill it? Look with me again at verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much do the waters cover the sea? All of it. There's not a place, a crevice that water does not fill in the sea. And the knowledge of the Lord is going to be on the earth at that time the same way the waters cover the sea. In other words, there's not going to be a crevice and there's not going to be a place where the knowledge of the Lord is not at. Anybody want to be a part of this kingdom? I'm ready for this kingdom. I don't have time to go to my next point, do I? I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to stop right there. Next week, we're going to pick up on the King's Banner. The King's Banner. And so if you've got that outline and you want to study ahead, that's what we're going to be looking at, the King's Banner. And I would close today simply because I always try to find an application for you. The question we have to ask is, how are we going to apply this to our life, right? Is this just something God just wanted us to have knowledge just so we have knowledge? No. Here's the thing you need to understand. This King is coming again, right? And that's what we're talking about. However, how many of you know that the King has already come? How many of you know that even though that kingdom and the way He describes it is not here yet and we're looking forward to it and we're hoping in it, however, we are in that kingdom as Christians right now. We are under this King that rules and reigns right now. He has gone to prepare a place for us and He is coming again to receive us so that where He is there we may be also. But right now, we are the bride of Christ that is making ourselves ready and we are getting prepared for that coming and we are learning to live under that King's reign right now. And so my question to you would be is this. When you look at your everyday life, do you see yourself trying to live in such a way that Jesus truly is King right now and you are at peace with your brothers and sisters, and as much as is possible with you, you live peaceably with all men? That Are you trying to live in such a way right now that the knowledge of God is filling every crevice in your body? You want to know why I get up? I didn't have to be at work till 7 o'clock. And I'm not, again, I do, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm not asking for a pity party. I didn't have to be at work till 7 o'clock this morning. You know what time I went in just so I could be at church this morning? I went in at 11 o'clock last night. You know what time I will get off tonight? I will get off at about midnight tonight. 25 hours. Why? Why? Because I need to be here. And you say, oh, but you're the pastor. Did we do this long before I was the pastor? Long before I was the pastor, this is the same thing that we did. We were here for Sunday school. We were here for Wednesday night. Back when I worked at Gabriel Ride Control, we would, I, I would talk to my boss and found ways to leave and be able to come to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night just to make sure that I was here. Why? Is it just because that's something I enjoy? How many of y'all like working 25 hours a day? They ain't even 25 hours in a day. I found an extra hour. Why? Why? Because honestly, I want every crevice of my life to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. I want to know, God, what is your ways in this? And how do I respond in these events? And when this happens in my life, which way do I turn? And I need your wisdom and I need your counsel. And I want to lead my family so that my family is going in the direction that is going toward your knowledge. And Because how many of you know that the majority of our families fall apart? Why? Because we don't want the knowledge of God. That's the truth of it. And so I would end today's message by simply asking, are you living in such a way that you are already under this king's reign? 
and you are already letting Him fill your life and every crevice with the knowledge of God so that you are truly growing in your likeness in Him? Or do you live in such a way that the truth of the matter is you come to church, but every day you're still going into the world, nothing is changing? Y'all tracking with me here? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you know if I'm talking to you or not. And so if that's you, I would ask you to examine yourself this morning. And I would ask you to humble yourself and bow the knee before the King to say, Lord Jesus, You are truly my King. I truly do confess You as Lord, the sovereign ruler of all. I want to grow in You. I want to learn from You. I want to follow You. I want to become more and more like You because one day I'm getting ready to enter this kind of kingdom And then even when this kingdom is over and the thousand years is ended, in Revelation chapter 21, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. That's right. Y'all would stand this morning. Whatever it is the Lord has spoke to you, now is your time to respond. My job is now over. Now it is between you and the Holy Spirit. If He has spoken anything to you, now is the time to respond to Him and make sure that you do not leave here the same way that you came in. Any true encounter with Jesus Christ will always make you different than what you were when you came in. And so I pray that if you've heard His Word today, that you let it change you. Whatever you need this morning, we're here for you.